Welcome to Radio Rollback Podcast, celebrating the greatest days of music radio. Now here's your host, Jeff Martin. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Radio Rollback Podcast, edition number 42, and it seems a while since we had episode 41, but it's been quite a busy period, it still is to be fair, uh, but I'm sure, in fact, I know uh, this edition is going to be worth waiting for. I also want to just say thanks to everyone who's uh, been uh, promoting the podcast for me. I really appreciate that. Thank you to everyone who's been in touch uh, with ideas and uh, things like that. I always appreciate that as well. And as I always uh, say, all the episodes of the uh, podcast are still available. So on episode 42, again, we bring you someone who was right there making some of this great great radio uh, back in the day uh, this person is extremely talented he he's played in a band he's been involved in the uh, record business he's uh, also an accomplished uh, writer of novels as well which you'll hear about later uh, but i really wanted to chat to this person because i've listened to him for hours and hours and hours and always enjoyed his uh, broadcasting and uh, he started as a teenager on uh, Radio Essex and then went via uh, Radio 270, Radio Scotland, Radio North Sea International to Radio Luxembourg. I refer, of course, to Mark Wesley. But before we talk to Mark, let's have a listen to him on the air. Writing talents of Phil Collins, the old and the entire album being just so incredible. No wonder it's number one in Great Britain at the moment, the number one rock album and the number one overall album. Face Value is called that single we're power playing on Radio Luxembourg, and I'm sure we can see it rocking into the charts next week. And it's called I Missed Again. I'll be playing you more number ones in a moment. Jolly Darling doing so well for us, huh? A track from the album 9 to 5, releases the single, the title track, of course. We made it a bullet here on Radio Luxembourg, so inevitably it'll be a chart entry in the top 30 chart in Great Britain. I'm, I'm quite certain of that, but she's figuring as a number one with the album. Number one country album in America and also in Great Britain. More number ones in a moment. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Really great to speak to you. Um, and... Uh, You've been in the business, or, or you were in the business, anyway, since you were 17 years of age uh, on the old Fort Base Radio Essex and uh, quite a young age to start and quite an adventure for a, a, a young man of 17. Yeah, yeah, 17. I mean, it was late late 17, you know, sort of in November uh, of that year that I was 17, uh, so heading towards 18, which is almost better. But it, it, it was coincidence. Uh, I, I was, um, uh, I, like everybody that listened to the pirate ships, which in that, at that time was Caroline and, and London. I don't think uh, uh, Radio England had come along yet. But, um, you know, Radio London was fantastic. We all liked Caroline. But it was one of those things where you, you think, yeah, well, that's w what other people do. You'll never do that. So I was quite content to listen to it. I never saw a, a chance of me ever being involved in it, but I was utterly fascinated by it, like so many people. But I was in a band, and the manager of the band, I mean, we weren't a particularly successful. We were just a local group. And our manager uh, was... Um, 
had been on Invicta Radio and uh, had worked some Canadian radio as well. His name was Rusty, Rusty Allen, Vince Allen. And um, and so I was fascinated by his tales. And he said, you know, there is a, there's another fort out there. And if I can get a boat out there, maybe we can have a look at it, claim it and put a transmitter on it and start our own radio station. Well, a naive 17 year old thought, well, of course, who wouldn't want to do that? Mm-hmm. And uh, so he, uh, Vince Rusty, went uh, went to um, Leon Sea or around that ne- neck of the woods along the Thames to to see if he could find a boat that was willing to take him out to have a look at a fort. And he bumped <laughs> into a guy who worked for a chap called Roy Bates, and uh, he said, "I think my boss is planning to do the same thing. Maybe you could talk to him," which is what Rusty did. And then Roy Bates said, "Okay, you're." You're the new, you're my program director. So my manager of the band was now the program director of this so-called new radio station if it ever got started. And I'm his best mate. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> so nepotism to the rescue. Indeed. Uh, and um, we went, had to go out there to start with initially just to protect the fort, which is the Not John Tower, which is 12 miles off of Falness Island. And... Um, uh, so I was. So the first period of weeks were just sitting out there guarding the thing. We had some transmitting equipment that was out there, and then we had a, an engineer that came out and started setting things up. And uh, uh, so I became their first DJ, and, um, and then others joined us. And uh, I, I, that, that's how my career started, really, by someone knowing something, someone, you know. I highly recommend it as a career move. Yeah, and because it, 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 you learnt on the job as well, didn't you? I mean, it's you know, no training, no well, nothing. Just go out and do no, it. I, I knew I knew records were round; they were black <laughs> and had a hole in the middle. Yeah, so that that's the sum total of my knowledge. I knew I knew records that I liked. I was I was a fan of uh, the Shadows and the, and then later the Beatles, inevitably. But um, um, so that's uh, but but I was also a, a big fan. In fact, the first album I ever bought was a jazz album by uh, Milton, Milt, Milt Jackson. Wrong. So, uh, you know, so my, my heart lay, lay in more jazz music that did pop, but, but I love pop. I love soul and Motown and all the other stuff like everybody else. So, so I, I knew what I liked. We didn't have much of a library, so we played what we got. And I'm um, just grateful for doing it. And it was just amazing. But the training really, such as it was, because I was surrounded by people who hadn't done it before either. There was none of us that knew anything about anything. So uh, so really, our training was listening to Caroline, or most more likely Radio London, uh, which I preferred. I thought it sounded much more professional, mm. such as I, whatever I knew professional was, but it just sounded so good. And pretty much copied everything I heard on Radio London and just did everything they did. Uh, as a starting point, that seemed to be a sensible thing to do. If you're going to borrow <laughs> ideas, make sure they're good ideas you're borrowing. Indeed, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you, you did you stay with the station till it finally closed down when it turned into BBMS or something, didn't it? Britain's yeah, yeah, music yeah, station. Yeah, the whole thing. Uh, yeah, what happened was uh, other, other Radio Three Nine Zero and Radio City got closed down, um, and they used uh, the trick of uh, at low tide sandbanks became visible they were claimed by the uk and so you measure your three mile limit beyond that 
and that something like that worked. And then and they did the same to Radio Essex and um, or BBNS as it later became. And so we closed down on um, I think it was Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, um, 1966, something like that, 67. And then I um, got a job on Radio 270, uh, a ship off of Bridlington, and then finally got a job at uh, Radio Scotland and uh, managed to close that one down as well on August the 14th. <laughs> yeah, like, like they all did. And, uh, yeah, they, they weren't um, probably the, the best ships to be on either, were they? They were, they were pretty pretty small and pretty tight, particularly 270. Yeah, but I, I, they gave me a job when yeah. I needed one and, uh, and uh, it, it, it enhanced my ability. You know, I, I got more... Uh, I, I was with amongst more professional people on those stations. They'd done more, uh, and that actually uh, was a great help, having uh, those, access to those talents around you, and that improved me enormously as a broadcaster. As a DJ, let's not pretend it's anything else than that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, after after the um, uh, the August the, the 14th, um, you went doing some record plugging, I believe. Is that, that right? And, and then an opportunity came up with Radio North Sea, which was a completely different proposition altogether in a way. Yeah, I, I'd worked uh, for A Cup Rose Music uh, for about six months uh, before. Let me see what happened there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I... Worked at, yeah, Acuff Rose Music, that's right, but I was in a band called Cardboard Orchestra and writing songs with a friend, and we got a deal with uh, Shapira Bernstein in Soho Square, wow. and they got us a deal with CBS Records, and so we released a couple of records on CBS, uh, and the band was doing all the clubs in London, uh, you know, The Revolution, yeah. Scots of St. James, Balbon, um, Whiskey A Go-Go, so we were doing a lot of good gigs, and we weren't a bad band. We were we were okay, but I got fed up with having to, you know, the, load the van up, and, and it just didn't feel like we were going anywhere. And then I got a phone call from Roger Day at home. I was still staying with my mum and dad, and uh, the phone rang, and it's Roger Day. Now I knew Roger Day. I'd heard him on Radio England, uh, and presumably Radio Caroline by then, um, and he. I had never met him, but he'd heard of me and said, I hear you want to get back into radio. Now, I, I'm not quite sure how he got that news, but it was true. I, I, we, we had mutual friends, so conversations with them may have been passed on to him. And I said, yeah, sure, I, I, I would. And I knew that Radio Nazi had, had started and he was on it. And uh, he said, well, uh, if you want to meet me at Gap Airport uh, tomorrow at nine o'clock, tomorrow morning at uh, 9 a.m. and we'll fly out to Rotterdam and catch the tender. I said, you're on, mate. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> shame on me. I didn't even sell the band I'd left. I just, oh, my God. I was so yes, I just so pleased just went. to get back into radio. Yeah, uh, fabulous. Uh, it was, uh, I say, it was quite a ship. And you were involved in, um, well, probably a lot more excitement than you was uh, planning for because uh, you were right there when they did the switch to Radio Caroline and had the march and uh, and all that sort of stuff, weren't you? Yeah, yeah we, we were. Because we had this terrible problem every time the ship, because the ship was the only one that moved backwards and forwards across uh, across the channel from Holland to... Uh, 
Frinton off of off of Frinton, um, and it um, uh, when it came over uh, off the UK coast, the Essex coast, they used to jam it. But when we were off of the Dutch coast, it wasn't jammed. So that's a strange thing. And I remember when we'd have somebody sitting on a chair, literally in the transmitter hall, and it was a transmitter hall on on Radio North Sea International because it was a big ship, and uh, and they keep changing the frequency slightly of our transmission so that for a time we'd have clear a clear signal and then eventually the uh, jamming signal wherever the hell it was would move on to our signal you know so listeners had the frustration of having to find us you know just either side of where we normally would be just in order to get some 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 airtime without the whistle yeah, I, I was one of those listeners, Mark. I could tell you it was very frustrating, and that's, <laughs> yeah. that's where I came across you for the very first time. Well, to be fair, I want, you, I want you to now imagine that literally in this transmitter hall, there was a, an engineer sitting on a chair <laughs> with a screwdriver, just or a knob, just twiddling the the os, oscillator, wherever the hell it was, Amazing. to change the frequency a little bit. So every time it went off, imagine that bloke. Uh, turning that thing that's what happened yeah amazing and then as i say there was the big rally and i think because uh, i think i've got a recording of it somewhere i think you were back on the ship and uh, roger and some of the other guys were uh, <laughs> out in trafalgar square uh, with ronan o'reilly i think simon d all fighting for a free radio and the, the jamming to be taken away yeah, I, 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 I have, I had been on a, a rally. I, I'm sure I, I, you know, you know, because I was, you know, as much a supporter of that inevitably as everybody else. So when when it was when I was required to to belly up to the campaign, I was happy to do so. Also, uh, very interestingly, uh, we produced a record. Who do you think you're kidding, Mr. Wilson? And. Um, that what what happened there um we went into a studio and we literally um and i should tell you who i was with i was with it was me ronan o'reilly uh george lazenby and another guy can't remember who it was and we sang literally over the top of the lyrics of of the record of who do you think you're kidding mr wilson Mr. hitler yeah, we so we just sang over the top of it. <laughs> oh, and uh, yeah, I think I'm not sure how it, whether it actually got released. It certainly got played. It did a lot. People seem to remember it, but that was I, I remember that quite interesting. Yeah, George Lazenby as well. James Bond on it, eh? Well, just a while. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, he seemed quite impressed that I was there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that was good. That was good. Yeah, I, yeah he, he he talks. Uh, yes, he talks about it at dinner parties all the time, even today. I can imagine, <laughs> absolutely imagine. Uh, not the fact that he appeared in a, a Bond movie with um, oh, Dino no, Rake. Yeah. No, singing <laughs> next to me, James Bond pales into... Trumps that, trumps that by far, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and was you uh, on, on, the, uh, on the station when it uh, got raided in August, where some club owner decided he owned the station and decided he was going to take it in, or, or was you off the boat at that time? I was on board. Yeah, I was definitely on board. That was uh, that was lunchtime, and uh, we just finished lunch, and then uh, and it was very misty. We were off of the Dutch coast at that time, and uh, we'd also just come out of a, a series of heavy storms, which uh, 
I have to say, was, you know, very unpleasant. Anyway, so we had a calm sea this day, misty, couldn't see the coast. And out of the mist comes this huge uh, ocean-going tug that backs onto our anchor chain. Oh, no, before it, it sends a little cruiser out from it. On board is a guy called Case Munders, I believe it was. And he was brought up onto our ship, had a chat with the, uh, with the captain uh, in a room somewhere. And then, uh, then he, I remember the, the captain chasing him off the ship, getting him back down over the, uh, onto his own little vessel that he had that went back to the tug. Uh, and the, the, the captain was really angry with him. We later found out, you know, that this is a complete nonsense. He was a gangster that was claimed that the ship was his over a debt or something like that. Who knows? It might even been true. I don't know. But you don't pirate a, a pirate ship. <laughs> and uh, so this tug started backing onto the bow of our ship and, and with oxyacetylene was trying to cut the anchor. Well, we... Um, uh, and then we, yeah, well, what happened was you know, the significance of it being lunchtime, the chef still had a vat of fat and he was pouring it down the hole that the anchor goes through to onto these guys that were, God. that were trying to cut the chain. So they backed off and then they got uh, um, a, a fire hose uh, and the idea was they were going to start uh, playing water onto our mast to try and stop our transmission. Well, of course, that would have killed them yeah. if they. I mean, they're holding uh, the copper nozzle of this hose pipe from a distance. When we were about to fire water, it hit the side of the of the ship, and we just said, "Don't do this. This, this will kill you." Yeah. And as soon as they realised what they were about to do, they stopped doing that. And of course, while all this was going on, we were calling out anybody listening to this transmission, please come out. We need help. We've got, and we explained what was going on. Um, I think we even had some Molotov cocktails we were prepared to throw. <laughs> we, we, were, we, we battened down hatches and, you know, it was a, a real threat. Yeah, and then suddenly, out of, the, out of the mist came all these, this flotilla of boats, small boats coming from the coast. And in amongst them was uh, the Dutch Navy. Brilliant. And, uh, and it chased the, the uh, tug off into the, uh, into the mist we assume into back to Holland. I think he was arrested back there, and that. So that was that, and and as a result of that, I decided on my next shore leave never never to go back. I thought I just this is not radio. I don't I don't want any part of this anymore. You know, if I'm going to do radio, I just don't want to do it like this. And I I'd been given a job at Dick James Music um, as a plugger. So I plugged the last of the Beatles records and the first of the Elton John records. So that was a very interesting. Indeed, time. yeah, but that's a story all on its own, isn't they, Mark? Yeah, yeah, that was that was fun. And then um, I had already a, a, a week or so, a couple of weeks before, lodged an air check of my breakfast show at Radio Luxembourg, and uh, nothing came of that. But as I, as a record plugger, my job was to entertain and wine and dine the program director of Radio Luxembourg, which I did fastidiously as often as I could. He was a lovely guy called Ken Evans. And eventually, um, six months later, I get a phone call from Ken. He said, Mark, are you, are you still interested in going uh, working for Radio Luxembourg? I said, yes, I am. He said, Ken wants to talk to you. And that's how I got the job. 
There you go. <laughs> Do some strikes again. Yeah, it, it, it was. Um, it was probably. Uh, I mean, I, I think people forget how just how big a deal that would be because Radio Luxembourg was pretty much king at the time, and uh, it, it was what about six of you out there at the time? Must have been like. Um, yeah, a real family atmosphere, or or am I looking through that with rose-tinted glasses? There were six of us. I'm looking at a photograph now of Dave Christian, me, Kid Jensen, Paul Burnett, and Bob Stewart. And out there when I joined in 1971. And um, it was, everybody had their apartments and flats, and we went went into the office, Radio Luxembourg office in Luxembourg at the Villa Louvini, uh, in the afternoon just to check in. And then then we'd turn up for our shows in the evening. And our shows were often an hour long, an hour and a half, two hours would have been maximum. So it was no hardship. Uh, but we you know lived away from from the UK, um, and it was fantastic. I, I I loved it instantly. You know, it was just felt right for me. Uh, so, yes, it was 11 glorious years. Yeah, yeah, 11, 11 years uh, uh, stay. And, and to say you work with some cracking people, I mean, I I just think Dave Christian was a, a real fine broadcaster taken away from us far too young, wasn't he? And uh, But there was oh, yeah. so much talent on there. Well, yeah, absolutely. Everybody had something to say. They were all different voices, different characters. And, and we're all DJs, and I think that that's the thing. We our our, our purpose was to entertain, uh, not to not to educate, just to just to have fun and you know uh, make it sound like it's a party, you know. And that was great. We were the right age for that. Yeah, and and it, it really did. It was such a superb listening, even though uh, those who can't remember it, the the signal used to go in and out. But you didn't matter. You would put up with that because, uh, as you say, it was just just having fun, really. Exactly. I mean, if if it starts to become too earnest, and you're you're playing music because it is essential. So, what one of your highlights on uh, Luxie as well was. Uh, um, you were the the first uh, person in Europe to announce the the sad death of Elvis as well, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was, uh, that was an extraordinary uh, thing. Sometime before um, I made the announcement, I, I, uh, one of the broadcasting from the same Villa Luverni building in the in a park in the middle of the city. They, uh, they, they also had in, uh, studios for other services. Uh, and a, a journalist from the German service came up, came in, he stuck his head around the door, he says, Mark, don't say anything now, but we think getting stories may have died. Just don't say anything. Came back 20 minutes later, he said, yeah, it's, it's, it's confirmed, Elvis is dead. So I was able to announce that at least 10, 15 minutes before anybody else um, on on my show. Mm, yeah. So it not not something that you would uh, really hope to do, but um, yeah, it's uh, definitely a, a massive moment in radio and obviously in uh, in pop pop culture as well, wasn't it? Oh, oh yeah, it's a, it's it's a shock to the system. Happily, Tony Prince, who was at the station at that time, of course, um, was was a big Elvis fan, and he heard this uh, coming down the line, and uh, he 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 rushed in, and I. I think it was. Uh, he came in with armloads of Elvis albums and stories to tell, um, um, because he uh, 
he had actually introduced Elvis on stage in Las Vegas. Right. You know, just a, so he had plenty to say about him. Whereas I'm, you know, to me, Elvis was fine. I wasn't a big fan, I mean, even though I had seen Elvis in Las Vegas. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he wasn't, he was just another act, but I'm, I was well aware of his, his importance in the pantheon of uh, pop history. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, and did you, did, did it just get too much with Radio Luxembourg uh, living out there and, uh, or, or did you think it was just time to, to, to move on? Yeah. I, there comes a time when you, you know, I, I could, the writing was on the wall for Radio Luxembourg some years before as as more and more local stations came on. We still had the evenings to ourselves which, because of the needle time restrictions on commercial stations and on the BBC. So they tended to put their uh, lesser uh, valuable shows. That, that, I mean commercially valuable. It didn't mean to say they were any worse. It's just the, 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 the shows which made less money would go out in the evening. The va- needle time was valuable. You could get listeners with when you're playing records, and you could sell that time as that for advertising. So um, we we still had the evenings because we we didn't have a needle time problem, obviously. So um, that uh, that changed gradually and uh, started eating into the evenings. People's habits changed, and. I thought, you know, I just, you know I've, I've probably done all I want to do. And uh, I went, I, I joined Radio Orwell and Saxon for a bit. But, you know, the, the thrill had really gone. And I, and I was writing uh, jingles and I started a, a jingle production company because of my writing, because I'd produced a lot of records during the 70s for EMI and Warner Brothers and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I was, you know, that was an early thing that, was still an important uh, love of love of mine um, writing music. So, so I, I kind of um, write doing uh, creating jingles for clients and advertisers was uh, was a natural thing to do, and that gave me. Uh, then it led to a, a company called Media Futures, and we we were producing film for uh, advertisers and for for corporations and what have you. So. That was quite an interesting thing, documentaries for TV. So we, you know, I, I moved away from it completely. And I, although I've been, I did do uh, a few months uh, with uh, Capital Gold doing some overnights while I was, while I was running Media Futures. <laughs> I wasn't sleeping. I was not getting any, any sleep at all. And I, I really did not like, I mean, I still don't like playing oldies. So I understand people, uh, you know, they, they meant something because they were significant in, in moments in their lives. But for me, I was in a room and just, you know, having a party there and looking for the next new thing, the next new thing, the next new thing. And, uh, yeah, there was some, in amongst it were records that I, I still like, you know, think Earth, Wind and Fire. Who wouldn't love, you know, that, that musically has credibility and uh, anything that had musical credibility uh, for me, it was important. And those things I still love. But I think you did some of the jingles, incidentally, on R&I, didn't you? Am I, am I making that uh, up? <laughs> no, I, 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 I used to cut and record stuff. Uh, I, I did something based on uh, South American Getaway, which is uh, one of the themes in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and I changed it into an R&I jingle, um, both, uh, with me putting some harmony vocals over the top of it. Is that the is, is that the one that goes R&I, R&I? 
Uh, and yeah, the, no, it's, it's a, I called it the boom tune. I know the one you mean. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I do. R-N-I. That's the one. I just used that, yeah. So, I mean, it didn't sound as good as it did just then as I sang it. No. Imagine how beautiful Well, that's live. That's live, of course. Yeah, you can't beat live. <laughs> no, I can't sing, but but uh, I could sing then, and uh, so I did that. Well, I had, I had time to do it, and then I did a, a package of jingles for Radio Luxembourg. Yeah, was that? Did you do the Station of the Eighties package or? No, I didn't because I wasn't there in the eighties. Uh, oh no, because I, I thought it was there till about eighty. Two or something. Eighty one. Like. I left in eighty oh. uh, one. I, I I stand corrected. I do apologise. Uh, but, <laughs> but I always think that was the, one of the strengths of Radio Luxembourg. That the imaging they had was absolutely amazing, wasn't it? They always had a great mm. jingle package. I can't think of a duff one. Well, certainly when I stopped listening in the eighties, anyway, they, they were all pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was important. It was a it was it was a great uh, station, and of course we had our own magazine fab. Fabulous 208, and uh, that sold a quarter of a million copies every week. God. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was massive. Yeah, I mean, that's just unthinkable now, isn't it? I don't think you get a daily newspaper that sells that anymore. No, that was the day when people read things. I have now evolved into an author, and I have three books that people can buy on Amazon. Yeah, it's a set of three action adventures. Uh, The first one is Bank. Uh, which is a, a robbery of s- stealing gold from the vaults of the Bank of England. It's a very novelized. Yeah, it's so three books worth checking out. And the last one, the one, most recent one, is Dead City Exit. And that's a lot of fun, too. You know, if, if you like things that are global stories, you know, uh, big adventures, big yarns, these are these are what I write. So that's uh, that's what I do. Yeah, you've, you've, you've done pretty much it all. And uh, what I'm Fabulous. Well, thanks again for your time, uh, Mark. I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, it, just fascinating career. As I say, there's so many facets. We could have done maybe four podcasts, really. But uh, uh, all... It's a life, my friend. It's a life. Indeed it is. Uh, indeed it is. Thank you for the memories, because, uh, as I say, I was an avid uh, listener on uh, Radio North Sea and definitely on Radio Luxembourg. So thank you for that. Thanks again, uh, Mark. You uh, have a great rest of your day. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Really, really did. Uh, So much uh, in that wonderful career, and I felt we skipped through it uh, pretty quickly, but I think we got pretty much everything in there. And uh, so really was looking forward to chatting to Mark and uh, didn't disappoint. Really nice guy. And uh, as I say, a great career. If you want to hear some audio from that raid uh, on the Mebo 2, with uh, Case Mandes and uh, the Tug and uh, Husky and the Viking who uh, tried to tow the Mebo 2 away, as uh, Mark was uh, talking about. Uh, You can hear all uh, about that on episode four of Radio Rollback, where there's some fabulous audio recorded uh, of that afternoon, that Saturday afternoon, with the attempted hijacking of the Mebo 2. So uh, do check out that on uh, episode four. Uh, Next time, I think we're going to have a bit more Mark Wesley. We'll uh, have a bit more of him on Radio Luxembourg and uh, R&I too, so you can hear him in action uh, on episode 43. Uh, Hoping as well to get some more guests on uh, on uh, future episodes. If you know of any contact details where we can uh, get some guests on or you've got any ideas who you'd like to 
here or you know got any comments then uh, it's jeffmartinmedia220 at gmail.com thank you for your comments last time please continue to spread and share and uh, we'll continue with episode 43 next time so until next time have a great time i'll see you on the next one Thanks for listening to Radio Rollback Podcast. Don't forget to check out the back catalogue and use your podcast app to subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode.